I'm just going to point out now I am in bare feet. I got a blister yesterday because I very wisely took a walk around Virginia Water in flip-flops that were very old. So also, if you see the plaster, just ignore it. I know it's not very attractive, but hey, this is family. Yep. And I'm really comfy in bare feet, so I want everyone to be comfy in church as well. It's all about being comfy, and this is fam, and this is home. Um, I'm really excited for this new series. Um, I'm also, if I'm going to be really honest and open with you, a little bit nervous about it as well. I felt a little bit apprehensive this morning and last night, knowing of, of speaking on this topic. Because it's huge, it's vast, it can feel intangible, it can feel a bit ethereal, it can bring up emotions in people, it can feel like stuff, something we can't hold on to, we get a bit confused by it, it can feel a bit too deep. And then I was feeling all these things and I felt like Jesus just took me and he just, he calmed my spirit for a moment. And he was like, Emily, heaven is my home. You are just talking about Jesus's home. Jesus's dwelling place where Jesus is and for me that that settled something in me so I just wanted to encourage you today if at some point you feel yourself going a bit like what like I'm not sure or this feels a bit much or it's bringing stuff up in me or I've got questions I don't know just remember we're talking about Jesus's home where Jesus is his dwelling place and I like to think of it I don't know about you but I get really intrigued by um you know, like big stately homes or places that you're not usually allowed into, and then they let you in and you get to see behind the scenes where you usually wouldn't get to go. Anyone else like that? Would would like to see that? Yeah. I, when I worked for the National Trust, I used to love that I could go around the houses and walk in all the secret back corridors that none of the visitors got to see and find out all the secret passageways. And that was really fun to me. And I also got to do something in National Trust where, um, we got to put on tours in Reading Prison. It's now shut down. It's not like a prison now. We weren't touring with inmates in there. It was um, empty. But we got to do tours in there, and we got to see behind the scenes where no one else usually gets to go, and you got to go behind the front doors. You got to see beyond the gate. You got to see what it was like for those people there. And I want you to think of heaven in that way today. God has invited us to his home, his dwelling place, where we would never have been able to get into. He lets us see beyond the gate. He lets us see into his home, his true ways, his perfect paradise land. That is what we are talking about and thinking of when we are talking about heaven today. So just if you need some grounding points in yourselves during this series, bring yourself back to that again. Is that good? Great. So the aim of this series, homesick, bringing heaven down to earth. There we go. Thanks, tech team. Do you like the pink ladder? I really like it. Um, If I ever get a ladder, that's what I'm going to look for. So I wanted to explain a bit about why homesick. Because obviously, when we do these series, Liam and I sit with them for ages. And this one, I've sat with in my spirit for probably just under a year. This, This series has sat with me, this idea of wanting to bring to this church. But I realized you haven't been in the conversations with us. So you might be homesick. What? Huh? And the aim, if I could sum up the aim of this series, is simply this series is about building a longing in us for our true home of heaven and being convinced of that place and then how that should affect how we then live our lives here on earth. So it's about being convinced of our home, 
we truly know that's where we belong. And then the because we're so convinced of that and we live with a heavenly mindset, like Liam was saying, that then changes how we live our life here on earth. So the word homesick, and tech team, if you can pop up the next slide of, of a certain verse, it's just one verse. And I read this verse um, about a year ago, and it's from the passage we're going to be looking at it. And the word homesick in this verse just captivated my heart. This is Paul um, talking to his church in Corinth, and, and he's talking about heaven, and he's talking about how he's, he's so glad that we get to go there. And he says this to him, it's in the Passion Translation, he said, that's why we're always full of courage, for even while we're at home in the body, even while we're here, home on earth here, we're homesick to be with the master. We're homesick to be with the master. And it was this idea of longing for somewhere, longing for home that captivated me. I was like, Paul feels homesick for heaven. Paul feels homesick to be in God's dwelling place. Paul feels homesick to be face to face with Jesus for all of eternity. And I wonder for us today, can we relate to Paul? Can we relate to Paul in this passage when he talks about being homesick for heaven? Or is that a bit confusing for you? It might be. That's okay. And I want to say firstly, if you leave today with more questions, great. Because that's the place I want to get you to, to actually start thinking about it within yourself. To actually start pondering this topic for yourself. To actually start thinking about the questions of heaven. I don't mind if you leave with more questions than when you started. For me, I've done a good job then. Because it means I've got you to start thinking about it. And actually thinking of heaven in your mind. So if this confuses you, this idea of being homesick for heaven, that's fine. Be that. Be in the confusion for this moment. Maybe it scares you. Maybe it feels a bit daunting to be homesick for heaven, homesick for this place that's, you know, associated, obviously, for, for when we end our time here on this earth. There's that, that maybe that feeling within you. Maybe it feels too big. Maybe it feels too ethereal. I can't touch it. I can't see it. I don't know where it actually is. <laughs> where am I going to? What is this place? It's that intangible nature of it that sometimes stops us from actually thinking about it because it's just a bit too confusing to think about. Or maybe we've just never really thought about it that much. You know, maybe we've gone through life as a Christian and, and we know heaven is, is where we're going, but we've never actually really thought about what that means for us. We've never actually really thought about how does that affect me here on earth, you know, and what's it going to be like for me when, when I get there. Can we relate to Paul when, when he has this, this such a, a deep longing? And Paul talks in this passage about groaning for heaven. He has a, there's a depth to his longing to be home with his master. Can we relate to Paul in that way? So I wonder if maybe to help you get a bit of an understanding for Paul and a bit of an understanding for this homesick longing that we're talking about. I wonder if you can maybe remember a time where you felt homesick where you had this longing to be somewhere else than where you presently were. And um, I had this feeling on Tuesday of this week. Tuesday morning, we woke up very early, and we were going to a wedding for the whole day. And um, if I'm going to be really honest, I love the wedding. I enjoy weddings. I enjoy it when I'm there. It's not that I'm not. But in the morning, I woke up, and during the day, I was like, I actually can't wait to be home in my bed. 
Anyone else get that when they're out and about? They know they've got a long yes. They know they've got a long day ahead of them, and they're like, actually, do you know what? I feel a bit homesick for my bed whilst I'm out here. And there was this thing in me where I was I was tired, and I longed for the rest that I knew being home meant. Or maybe you've been separated from a loved one from for a long amount of time. I remember Liam and I were separated for two weeks once. And it was heartbreaking. It was so tough. We longed for each other. I mean, it wasn't that dramatic, but we did miss each other. And and when we were, apart, of course, I think he agrees. <laughs> I missed him. Um, and we were apart. And, and, you know, there was that longing to be reunited. There was that longing, oh, I can't wait to see my loved one again. I can't wait to be with them again and, and to be reunited with them and to have the comfort and the love and the joy that, that comes with being reunited with my loved one again. I was homesick to be with my husband again. Or maybe you know that, that you've got a difficult conversation ahead at work or you've got a busy day ahead of you. I remember thinking, you know what, um, I had to have, when I worked at the National Trust, there, there were some days of the year uh, bank holidays, which would be very busy at work. And I remember during those days, there would be this homesick longing in me to be home. You know, maybe when we've got, um, we're somewhere difficult or different or uncomfortable, there's a longing within us for the comfort and safety and security that being at home means. You know, I was enduring and, and going through the busyness or having a difficult conversation with a colleague. If you know you've got something difficult ahead of you, you long for that moment of home where you know the security and the comfort awaits you. So I wonder if you can think of a moment where you felt homesick, where something in you has longed to be back at home or has longed to be with a loved one again. And you see, in all of these things, this longing for home is expressed within us. We feel this longing to, to be reunited with someone, to be back at home, to be resting, because we know the peace and the rest and the comfort and the love and joy and the belonging that we'll experience when we finally get home, where we finally be with our loved ones, relaxing, resting, not stressed, not pressured, enjoying the space because we are home. And this is what Paul is expressing towards heaven in this passage. He absolutely knows what awaits him. He knows that once he's done this journey of life, when he crosses that threshold into eternity, he knows the true goodness, the true rest, the true joy, the true peace, the true love, the true belonging that will await him for the rest of his time. That's what Paul is talking about when he, when he expresses this homesick and this longing. But you might be thinking, cool, feeling homesick for heaven. Why, why should I? Why should we? You know, we know it's coming. It's, it's going to happen. If, if we've given our lives to Jesus Christ, we know that, that that's where we're going to go. So why should I develop a longing for it now? I'm not there yet. Why should I feel homesick for heaven here on earth? Why should I spend time building that longing in me? How does it actually affect me when I'm here, here on earth? What I want to encourage you today, and this series is, is about building that homesick longing in us for heaven, that if we build a homesick longing for heaven, it will keep us looking up through life. It will stir us to live a life where we're confident of what's coming. And it will keep our gaze and our focus on the true prize. 
You see, if we're homesick for heaven, when we go through a trial, it will keep you moving forward because you know that's not where your life ends. You will not get stuck in your trial. Even if that trial stays with you until the very end of your days, it's not going to follow you into eternity. When you go through a trial, it keeps us moving forward. If we're homesick for heaven, when we go through a season of doubt, which can happen in our Christian walks, and that's okay, let's be honest about what goes on when in, our, in our personal relationship with Jesus. If we're homesick for heaven, we go through a season of doubt, it keeps us fixed on the truth. Because you're like, even though I doubt this, even though I'm not sure about this, even though this point is really hard to swallow, I know this truth that awaits me and I can't escape that. Because if this is real, then that is real. And so it keeps you fixed on the truth. If we're homesick for heaven, when we struggle with things here on earth like insecurity or self-image or materialism or building up a good life here on earth, it will help us look up and put our struggles and possessions in the right perspective. When we look at our life in the light of eternity, it changes our perspective on what we are doing and experiencing. If we're homesick for heaven, when life is going good and we're having a great time, you'll know that you're glimpsing a slice of what your eternity will be like. Hey, that's the other great thing. When we experience a bit of heaven here on earth, a culture of heaven here on earth, that's just a glimpse. That's a peek through the keyhole to what awaits you when you get to your true home. When you go through grief here on earth, heaven is a comfort. I know that when we lost our, our best friend Rory in December, my goodness, was heaven a comfort? My goodness, if heaven wasn't the true home, we'd still be stuck in our grief. We still feel the grief, but there's a comfort. There's a comfort that comes because of heaven. Whilst if you go through pain here on earth, there's a peace you can experience because of what you know of heaven. If you are ever confused here on earth, you know your end destination. So regardless of how confused you feel in your job, how confused you might feel in, in what your family's up to or what's going on in your day-to-day -day life, you know your end destination. So you know at one point in your life, you're not going to feel confused anymore. Your end destination is coming. If you ever feel discouraged here on earth, you have an ultimate purpose, and that is to live in eternity face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ in his dwelling place. If you ever feel discouraged in your purpose here on earth, remember your purpose for eternity to dwell with Jesus Christ forever. If you feel discouraged, heaven is such an encouragement to you. If you ever feel like you lack things here on earth, you feel like you're poor in the world's eyes, you feel like you're not building a life like the world measures as successful, you have all you could ever desire waiting for you in heaven. You will have treasures in heaven that you cannot build here on earth in earthly standards. And though you may feel tired sometimes here on earth, though life may feel weary and like it's exhausting sometimes, and you're like, I just don't know how I'm doing this. Having a homesick longing for heaven reminds you that true rest is coming. It keeps you going. And that is why building a homesick longing for heaven is so important for us as sons and daughters of God because it keeps us moving forward. It keeps us going through all the trials, tribulations, ups and downs of life. There's an end destination that's permanent, that is perfect goodness. 
and is waiting for us. So we're going to look at a passage, this 2 Corinthians passage. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10 throughout this series. And you see, Paul was so convinced about the goodness of heaven to come, his true home, that his expression of it comes out in this passage that we're going to read. Now, I'm going to warn you, there's some quite random language in this passage, (laughs) as can sometimes happen in the Bible, but that's okay, all right? We're going to go through it together. Give me a smile. Yes, smile. Come on, you can smile more than that. Thank you. Let's feel good. We're going to dive in. There is some random language, and there's some quite deep theological layers within this passage, but I don't want you to get scared. I don't want you to think, what on earth? I don't want you to switch off and be like, I'm not going to try and get my mind focused on this. But I want you to know we're going to go through this and we're going to pick out key themes from this passage of what, how we can apply it to our lives. What is Paul really trying to get across here when, when we go past the language, when we look beyond the layers, when we don't get stuck in maybe focused on something too a uh, tiny theological point? What is Paul trying to get us to do here in our lives? And today I'm really going to look at one thing just one thing uh, this week, and almost uh, God gave me the kind of expression of just setting the table today, setting the table so you understand the, the heart, the vision of this series, you understand where it is God wants to take us, you understand this passage, you understand what it is we're getting at, and then over the next few weeks, we'll look at more specific things within them and how that applies to our life. So, shall we read it? Hello, yes. (laughs) Shall we read it? Let's go. Okay, so it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Are you ready for Paul's random language and expression of heaven? Come on. For we know that if the tent that that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent here, our home, our bodies, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Are you still with me? He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, that's God saying, hey, look, here's my deposit of heaven that I guarantee then gets you into heaven, not gets you into heaven, but shows you that heaven is coming. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. That's that bit when he was talking about homesick. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Take a deep breath. We got through it. Did you stay with me? Did you get maybe a little glimpse of of what Paul was trying to get at? I've tried to summarize this in as simple terms as possible for you. (laughs) So here we go. Paul is essentially saying in this passage here that even when our homes, our bodies are destroyed here on earth, we have something waiting for us that is permanent and eternal. 
And because of how good that will be, there's a longing in us. There's an inward groaning desire to get to that place where all that we had to endure and go through in this world will be swallowed up and replaced with all the perfect ways of eternal life. And whilst we can experience the ways of heaven here on earth through faith, because we sing about that, we know that we can experience the ways of heaven here on earth through our faith. There's an understanding that when we get to actual physical heaven, heaven is a physical place, the experience will be so much greater because it's a place without all the imperfect things from this world. Did you get that? Yes, great. Now I wanna spend a little bit of time looking at the context of this passage. We're going to do a little bit of Bible studying together. We're going to get a little bit more understanding because actually it's really fascinating why Paul was writing this and why he, he ended up writing this quite random passage that he talks about being a tent that gets folded up and you're like, what? And he's talking about it for a reason. There's, there's more to it than when we first read this. You see, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. Corinthians, hence, there we go, the church in Corinth. And this is his letter that he was writing to them. Now, the church in Corinth, um, Paul had, had poured into. He'd spent a lot of time there. He'd, he'd nurtured it. He'd looked out for them. He'd, he'd spent time with them. He'd actually spent time building tents and selling tents in Corinth so that the church didn't have to have the burden of financially supporting him. So there's a little fun fact for you. Paul built tents. And um, he has nurtured this church. And what has happened whilst Paul has been away from Corinth Say it's like Liam and I, we go on a, on a sabbatical somewhere. I mean, Paul was on a sabbatical. He was in prison, but, you know, not, not, not very fun. Liam and I won't go to prison for a while, maybe. And uh, Paul is away from this church for a while. So, you know, Liam and I leave this church for a while. And whilst Paul is absent from this church, some other apostles start attending. Some other apostles, they're actually known as super apostles, start coming into this church in Corinth that Paul has looked after. He's nurtured. He's spoken truth into them. They start attending this church. So imagine some other like, you know, charismatic, great fashion sense leaders. Doesn't Liam look great today, by the way? Great outfit. I love it. It's new, new shoes. And they start attending and they start trying to lead the church as well. And what happens in Corinth is these super apostles, they start doubting the message that Paul has brought to this church. They start convincing people that, that Paul can't be really who he is, that this gospel can't be really what he's saying. They start trying to convince them to deviate away from the true gospel message that Paul has spent so much time sowing into them and teaching them. So imagine that. Some other leaders come here and they go, yeah, but you know, Liam and Emily aren't really who they say they are. They're, they're making some of this stuff up, you know. They can't, they can't really be leaders in that way. They can't really be pastors. That's what's happening in this church whilst Paul is away. And one of their main arguments against Paul that they sow into this church and the, the Corinthians there start following these, these apostles. They start trying to believe these apostles instead of the teaching Paul gave them. One of the apostles' main arguments against Paul is that they said they thought he suffered too much to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. How can this man who is preaching such good news suffer the way he has? 
how could this man who is preaching about such goodness of God and, and this amazing gospel truth of Jesus Christ, how can he be suffering the way he has? Because they've seen Paul be tortured and beaten and thrown in prison and, and not have a home and not have a permanent job and not know where his next income's coming from and not knowing where he's going to get food from and being, you know, shouted at with, with words and people hating him and people doubting him and, and coming against him. How can this man, if he's preaching such good news, suffer the way he does? Surely he can't be the true apostle if he's suffering this much. Now, I find it fascinating that Paul's response to this is the passage we've just read about heaven. He responds to their argument against him of how can you be suffering so much if you have this good news, if you have this Jesus Christ. And Paul says, because I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. And I know that the things that get built up here on earth will melt to dust, will disintegrate to nothing when I come to the end of my days. Because I know I'm headed to a place where eternal treasures are being kept for me where a true inheritance is waiting for me. I know the goodness of God in all its glory and perfection is awaiting me when I come to the end of my days. So I will suffer. I will go through trials. I will be thrown in prison. I will be beaten for the gospel because the stuff of this earth is not what I build my life on. I build my life on the things of heaven because I know that to be my true home. This is not my true home, so I'll suffer all that comes my way. I'll endure all the world has to throw at me. I'll come against every attack. I'll be whipped and beaten, and I'll take on all the words of hate you want to spit in my face because I know I am a citizen of heaven, and that is my eternal home. That is where I'm heading. That is where I base my gaze. That is where I fix my focus as I go through life. Not on pleasing everyone else here around me. Not on building a life that looks good to this world. Imagine if Paul had got deviated to that. Imagine if Paul had got, you know, got beaten a couple times and thought, gosh, I'm not impressing the world very much, am I? Gosh, I'm not really building a, a good following here if people are hating me. Perhaps I'll calm down a little bit. Perhaps I'll back off a little bit. Perhaps I'll focus on building what the world thinks is good. Perhaps I'll tame down this message so that people like me. Perhaps I'll fit in to culture and society. Perhaps I'll follow some of the pagan rituals. Perhaps I'll follow some of the rituals of these other religions that are infiltrating this church just so that I build a following. I build a liking. The world thinks I'm good. Imagine if he'd done that. Just imagine if he'd done that. This apostle Paul that we, we look up to in the Bible now. This incredible example of a man of faith. He didn't deviate. He didn't give in to the ideas of worldly success to build his life upon. He stayed firm, fixed and focused on where his true home was. And that's what meant he could endure all life had to throw at him. He didn't build his life based on the ways of this world. He didn't build his life trying to please people, trying to make this life look good. He didn't even have a house. He didn't have a job description. 
He didn't have someone looking over him, making sure he had a good pension for the end of his days. Not that those things aren't good, you hear me. Not that we shouldn't be responsible in this lifetime. But that's not where you build and base your life upon. That's not where you build your confidence and your security. He knew what was waiting for him at, for, at the end of his days. He knew what his true home held for him. And that's really good news for us here on earth. That's really good news for us as sons and daughters. Because it means we can drop the pressure of trying to perform, fit in, be significant, look a certain way, do a certain thing, build a certain life, have a certain possession, have our kids be a certain way. We can drop it all. Because that's not what we're building our life on. We're building our life for treasures in heaven. We're building our life with an eternal perspective. Knowing that nothing in this world will compare to what we experience when we get to heaven. Nothing. There is nothing here on earth that can even compare to what your experience of heaven will be like. And there's a goodness about heaven that I want to encourage you about, which actually I felt God speak to me about as I was laying awake last night. And it's not in my notes, but I felt it in my spirit. You see, we can feel scared of heaven and we can feel intimidated. And you might be feeling that now. You might be like, gosh, this is a bit too much. Can she just calm down? It might feel a bit like that. But I want to encourage you. Heaven is the goodness of God. It is his act of pure, perfect goodness towards it. The fact that we can enter into God's dwelling place. The fact that we can go past the gates and spend eternity face to face with Jesus. The fact that we can do that is the goodness of God. You see, God was dwelling in heaven. The son Jesus was with him. And they looked down and saw earth floundering in its humanity. They looked down and, and saw these humans who were going their own way and doing their own thing and, and stuck in this and doing that and wayward about this. And God felt a love so powerful that caused him to, to be like, well, I must send my son down to these people. And obviously, I'm, I don't know the exact conversation that happened, but, you know, I'm, I'm creating here. I'm imagining what may have happened. I must send my son down to these people because I love them so much. I love all of you so much. Every single one of you in this room today, God loves you so much that he was like, I must come up with a plan so that I can have them home with me for eternity. I can't leave them floundering in this place. I can't leave them to end up in a place where I am not there. I must have them. I must make a way so that they can be with me in my dwelling place because I love them so much. I can't leave them the way that they are. And so he sends his son Jesus down. And Jesus Christ comes and, and he leaves that dwelling place. He leaves that perfection 
to enter this imperfect world where he would then be hated, where he would then be spat at, where he would then be beaten. But he did it all out of love and he lived a perfect life here on earth. And then he went to the cross and he died on a cross out of love for you, out of absolute perfect love for you. He died on that cross. And he took on all of our sin and all of our shame and all the stuff that we were stuck in before. And then on that third day, he defeated that last obstacle for us. He rose up from the grave. He said, death is not going to have a hold on my people anymore. Death's not going to be the final hurdle. Death's not going to be the gate that closes people to be able to get into my home forever. I'm opening that gate. I'm defeating death. I'm making a way so that my people can come home to me forever. And he rose again on that third day. And he was victorious again on that third day. And then he went back to his perfect dwelling place. He went back to heaven, having made the way haven't opened the gate now for all of humanity to be able to access eternal home with Jesus Christ, having opened the way for us, having unlocked the gate, defeated the hurdles. And not only that, his goodness does not end there. God is so good to us about heaven. He sends his Holy Spirit down to earth and says, here, here, I'm going to get you to my place forever. I'm going to make a way so that you can be in my home forever and live with me always in my perfect love. But I'm not going to leave you without a help here on earth. I'm going to leave you with a reminder that you can always know that there is a deposit within you that connects you to your eternal home. And he sends his Holy Spirit down to us. And he says, here, children, those who love me, those who belong to me here, be filled with my Holy Spirit so that I can help you live the best way you possibly can on this earth to become more and more like me so that you can get a glimpse of heaven. And I just, I love that, that God gives us the Holy Spirit to connect us to heaven because when we start to experience the Holy Spirit, when we start to actually move in the Holy Spirit, when we start to actually open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, you're getting a glimpse of heaven. And do you know what? It's like a starter for the main course that's awaiting for us. It gets your appetite going. You're like, my goodness, if I can experience this here on earth and this, this is an imperfect world, what is heaven going to be like when it's perfection, when there's nothing imperfect there? And he sends that deposit for us to keep us connected to him. His goodness around heaven is remarkable. There are not enough words that we could ever write down or speak to describe about how good it is. The plan that God came up with so that we could be in heaven with him forever. And we do not think about it enough. We do not let it change us enough. Do you realize what he's done for you? He's created a place, a pathway, a way so that you can be forever in the presence of God, in his perfect presence. The alternative is an eternity without God. But God has created a way for us to experience his dwelling place forever. The goodness of God around heaven is remarkable. And we should not take it lightly of what our eternal dwelling place will be. 
can't take it lightly. We cannot spend our days as sons and daughters of God meandering through life and not thinking about what Jesus has done for us in making us a way to heaven. It's, it's miraculous. It's astounding. It's unbelievable that someone up there sitting in perfection would look down and consider us who were ignoring him, who didn't love him when he loved us, who didn't, hadn't given our lives to him yet, that were going our own way, that we're using his name in vain, that we're not honoring him. Yeah, he did it out of love. He did it out of love for us. And if that hasn't convinced you about the goodness of heaven and why we should be building this homesick longing in us for it, how that can actually shift our whole perspective for our life here on earth if we do so. I thought I'd just share one point from this passage. In the very first verse, Paul starts with two words. He says, I know. I know. In the Passion Translation, he says, I am convinced. Are you convinced by what waits you in heaven? Do you know how good heaven is? Because here's the thing, if we don't know, if we aren't convinced, we won't be homesick for it. How many of you know like you're homesick for things you know of what's there? When you're homesick for somewhere, you know of, of what waits for you there so you can long for it. If you don't know about heaven, how can you long for it? So I recognize that heaven can be intangible. It can be big, it can be wide, it can be vast, it can be unknown. And I thought I'd just bring a few points to help you on your journey. Hear me, this is the start of your journey. I'm not about to explain all the theological layers that are to do with heaven in like five minutes. I want you to start a journey exploring this for yourself. How much do you know about your true home? Hey, you know so much about the home you've built here on earth. You know the rooms, you know how it's decorated, you know what awaits you, you know how to run it. But that's, that's actually not your true home. That's fleeting. It's temporary. Your true home is in heaven. How much do you know about it? There's one really simple, um, oh, that's the other thing. I was going to encourage you. Uh, I recorded a podcast that had where I just read through a bunch of scriptures about heaven. And if you don't know where to start, start there. Just listen to that. You know, and if you find it confusing, look up some stuff about it. Gather some friends, ask some questions, do some studying for yourself. And just ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you mean by this? Holy Spirit, reveal to me, what are you getting at about my true home when through this passage? But here's one thing about one real simple fact, which I've, I've said a few times, is that heaven is God's dwelling place. That is a fact. Heaven is God's dwelling place, and it's where Jesus physically is, and it's where we will get to see him face to face. Now, are some, there are some other things that we could learn about heaven, 
And we can learn what it's going to be like by the things it says that are not there. There isn't a whole heap of like descriptive things in the Bible exactly about what heaven will look like and its physicalities. But there's a whole list of things that it says won't be in heaven that gives us just an idea of, of the place it is that we're headed to. You see, in Revelation chapter 21, it says that in heaven, we can know what it will be like because these are some of the things that won't be there. There will be no temple. You see, he was saying that because here we need, a, we need a building to meet in to worship. We need a building to come together as God's family. In heaven, there will be no temple because it, everyone will be God's family. It'll be like one huge space of worshiping God. There'll be no sun and no moon because it will just be permanently light there. How beautiful. The light of God will, will light up that place always. That I love this one. There will be no shut gates. There will be no shut gates in heaven. Because you know what? There's no crime in heaven. There's no fear in heaven. There's no need to shut people out because you'll enjoy everything that's there. There's no need to create barriers or facades or think, I've got my domain. There will be no shut gates in heaven. There will be no impurity. It will all be perfect. We will be perfect. We will live perfectly. There will be no unclean thing. Things on this earth that, that are evil and are dirty and that scar us and that hurt us, none of that will be there. None of that will be there. There will be no immorality. The things of this earth that distract us, that pull us into the ways of this world. The horrible things that go on behind closed doors that are so immoral. None of those things will be in heaven. No immorality. There will be no shame. There will be no shame in heaven. You will feel no shame in heaven. Just, just think about that for a moment. You will feel no shame in heaven. How often do we go through this life and we feel shame about something we did? We feel shame about how we treated someone. We feel shame about maybe how we are. You'll have none of that. There'll be no deceit. No one will deceive you in heaven. No PPI claims calling you up. I'm trying to deceive you to get more money. There will be no deceit in heaven. No one will have an ulterior motive. No one will gossip about you. No one will lie to you. No one will stab you in the back. No one will betray you. There will be no deceit for you in heaven. There will be no tears. I love that one. I mean, I cry a lot now. Not necessarily out of pain. <laughs> but there will be no tears in heaven. There will be no more death. There'll be no more agonizing moments where you have to say goodbye to a loved one. There'll be no more death. There'll be no sorrow. We won't have moments of feeling sad. We won't have a heartbreak feeling. We won't feel heartbroken. We won't feel down, disappointed, hurt in pain by what people have done or what life has thrown at us. There will be no sorrow. 
and there will be no pain. For those of you who are awaiting your healing miracle, when you get to heaven, there will be no pain. There will be no physical pain. There will be no emotional pain. There will be no psychological pain. You will live in true freedom and true peace. And here's some of the perfection that awaits you. A perfect peace with God. A perfect peace. Imagine the the calmest you've ever felt. The most serene, secure, comfortable and confident. That is but a glimpse of the perfect peace that you will encounter when you get home. You will have a perfect existence. You will have a perfect understanding. You see, you might have questions. You might go, but what about this? Or what will I do? Or what will I look like? Or what what this, what that, what about this? In a sense, it doesn't matter. Because when you get home, you'll have a perfect understanding. So it will all make sense there. It will all make sense. You'll have a perfect understanding. You'll have a perfect joy. Hey, didn't we glimpse uh, some joy in those first, that first song of worship? Didn't you feel something change in your spirit? Didn't it put a smile on your face? You feel something lifting up in you, wanting to express your praise to him and your adoration to him? That is but a glimpse of the joy that you will live in for eternity in heaven. I want you to think of when you've experienced the ways of God in your life. And I'm bringing it to an end now. Because we can experience the ways of heaven here on earth. As, as we've, we've said, that there's a Holy Spirit deposit in us that can move the, the ways and the kingdom of, of heaven through us. It can activate the cultures of heaven through us. It can move the fruits of heaven and the ways of heaven through us. We can experience the ways of heaven here on earth. But I want you to think about a time that that's happened to you. Where you've experienced maybe his presence so strongly. Where maybe you've experienced his joy. Even if that's thinking of that first song in worship today. Where you've experienced his provision and his breakthrough. Or maybe when you've experienced his healing or his peace or laughter. You see, that we get to experience that even in this imperfect world. Think about how just captivating some of those moments were for you. I don't know about you, but I've had times where I, I've been lost in the presence of God. And I've come out of it and I'm like, I touch something I don't even know how to describe in that moment and just imagine and think for a minute what that experience will then be like when all imperfection is removed from the picture when you won't get tired when your mind won't wander where you won't give in to a selfish desire and get distracted from it. 
where you won't worry about your kids, where you won't worry about your job, you won't worry about your future. You will just enjoy the perfection of heaven. I was never going to get through a preach that heaven without crying. Just wasn't. I'd love you to close your eyes. I want you to use your imagination in this moment. I'm going to read to you from a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you probably know it. It's a creative piece of writing. And it might not all be biblically accurate, but it lifts our minds and our thoughts to what heaven could be like for when we get there. It's a story of a boy called Christian who journeys through life and he's got to the gates of heaven. And this is what he says. He's being spoken to by angels that are greeting him. And they say to him, you are going now, they said, to the paradise of God in which you shall see the tree of life and eat of its never fading fruits. When you arrive there, you shall be given white robes and every day your walk and your talk shall be with the King, even for all the days of eternity. Then Christian asked, but what will we be doing in this holy place? And to this, they were given this answer. There you must receive the comfort that results from all your toil and have joy in the place of all your sorrow. You must reap what you have sown, even the fruit of all your prayers and your tears and your sufferings for the king along the way. There you shall also serve him continually with praise and shouting and thanksgiving. That is he whom you desire to serve in the world, though with much difficulty because of the weakness of your flesh. There your eyes shall be delighted with seeing and your ears with hearing the pleasant voice of the mighty one. You'll hear Jesus' voice. There you shall enjoy your friends again who have arrived here before you. And in the same way, there you shall joyfully welcome everyone who follows after you into the holy place. 
you will also be clothed with glory and majesty and appropriately equipped to ride out with the King of glory. And as they moved closer to the city, it says this, the city of heaven. Here also, they were now able to view the city itself. And they thought that they heard all the bells ringing inside to welcome them. But above all, warm and joyful thoughts consumed them as to how they would live there with such heavenly company for all eternity. Oh, with what language or pen can their glorious joy be sufficiently expressed? And thus they came up to the gate. Holy Spirit, we pray right now. Give us an understanding, a glimpse of what it is that we will encounter when we get home to heaven. May you help our minds have a heavenly mindset. May we not base our confidence on the ways of this world, on the things of this world, on the pressures of this world. May we base our confidence in where it is we know we're going. The perfection that awaits us. 